0: Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Catherine Alto will join us to discuss Writing Wild. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokotron 5000. And our world famous question of the week coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. the Grok's Science Show. Well, our appreciation for the natural world is drawn a lot from natural books. Well, join us today to discuss some of the essays, literary biography, and cultural histories by seminal women writers enriching our appreciation of nature is Ms. Catherine Alto. Ms. Alto has penned the new book entitled Writing Wild, Women Poets, Ramblers, and Mavericks Who Shape How We See the Natural World. And Ms. Alto, thank you for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a delight to be here.
0: Well, it's a fascinating book you've written here, Writing Wild, in which you discuss some of the seminal women writers that have enriched our appreciation for the natural world. I'm curious why you decided to write the book.
1: Oh, that's a very big question. (laughs) Um, Well, there's nothing like it out there. And so I have taught American literature of nature and place. And decades ago, I I remember reading an essay when I was in my late teens that John Muir wrote when he took a walk from San Francisco to Yosemite. And he wrote about my hometown in the middle of the Central Valley in California. That was my first taste at about 18 years old of nature writing it was uh, and he gave a portrait of what my central the central valley was like at that time there were grizzlies and it was a grasslands oaks and now of course it's a cultivated landscape it's you know orchards and fields and cornfields and peach orchards and dairies so anyway that sparked my interest in writing about the natural world and when i was an undergraduate at berkeley I studied American literature of nature and place and nature writing, and it was all by white men. And so fast forward a few decades, I, I just thought that that was, those were the people who had access to nature. And a couple of years ago, I read an article in Outside Magazine called 25 Books All Well Read Travelers Should Read. And 22 out of the 25 books were by white men. And I just said, let me write a response to this. I said, this is different than that now. So I wrote a response and I included Susan Fenimore Cooper. I included lots of women, women of color. And uh, the response to the outside magazine was, was, went ballistic on social media. And I was asked to write a book. So this is, this is my response to outside magazine. And it's illuminating to me as well.
0: Great collection of writers that you feature. But why do you think this has sort of not gotten the attention that it deserves?
1: Well, I think people in your audience will know about Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring. She was a biologist who changed our understanding of how DDT affects the web of life. And so that might be, to your audience, someone who's fairly well known. Less known are people like Dorothy Wordsworth. And the last name might be familiar. She was the sister of William Wordsworth. But in her own right, she was a mountaineer and a travel writer and a poet. And Susan Fenimore Cooper was the daughter of another prominent person, James Fenimore Cooper, America's first novelist. He wrote The Last of the Mohicans and uh, other other books as well. So why didn't these women write or what were some of the barriers Why didn't they receive the the acknowledgement that they should have, that their brothers and fathers did? Well, there are several main reasons, but in a nutshell women couldn't walk alone. We had to be in the chaperone of of men. Uh, So we couldn't just take a walk or else we would, you know, without a husband or brother or son with us, uh, or we might suffer from what's called reputational anxiety. Dorothy Wordsworth got reprimanding letters from an aunt who said, why do you insist on taking midnight walks under the moonlight? You're going to get in trouble this way. And Susan Fenimore Cooper wrote Rural Hours in 1850. And everyone thinks uh, Henry David Thoreau, whom I love, is the father of environmental American environmentalism. That, his book, Walden, was written in 1854, so four years after, or published then, uh, so four years after Susan. If women of that era, we could not put our names on books, so we wrote by a lady or by anonymous. We also couldn't put the first person singular pronoun, I. It was considered inappropriate to write essays with yourself in the narrative, but Henry David Thoreau did it all the time. So his writing was therefore more engaging. We didn't have access to universities. We couldn't go to universities. (laughs) Um, And then the publishing field has been honestly white male dominated. And so it's less so now. So we have had all these barriers and been difficult to overcome. And even in 1962, when Rachel Carson, the scientist, wrote Silent Spring, the chemical industry went after her. They said things like, how can you trust a spinster with no children? with questions of biology. And of course, eight years after that was published, the uh, EPA was founded. So really these people, we've had to overcome barriers of walking alone using our names that white men have had the privilege of using. So those are are some of the main reasons why. And I mean, imagine if you're a black woman too, say someone who had been an enslaved person, you wouldn't want to be in the landscape. You know, that would be a danger for you. And so there are lots of reasons why women and, and women of color haven't had the same, haven't written, It's we haven't had the same access and privileges.
0: Were there tough choices to make in terms of who to feature in the book?
1: Yeah, well, I imagined myself as a jeweler, actually. I mean, I got into the book and I, I imagined myself because I was trying to craft as faceted a gem, if you can imagine that, like you're holding a diamond and it's got to have lots of facets to it to bring in the light and showcase this gem in as many ways as possible. And so I needed to include women who were doing something new or and didn't get the acknowledgement they deserve. So they're, the classic writers are in there. So classic nature writers are Mary Austin, and she's got a mountain named after her in Southern California, one of the rare peaks that have been named after women. There is Mary Oliver, America's favorite best-selling poet. There's Rachel Carson, and then there are newer nature writers as well that I bring in, and Gretel Ehrlich, who wrote about the American West. So they had to be opening a gate to to a new way of seeing their field. Also, Leslie Marmon Silka, who wrote Ceremony, which is America's first well, first Native American novel. So if someone was doing, if a woman was doing something new and then I had to weigh, what were other women doing? So it's not just 25 essays. And I also include at the end of each essay something my editor and I called side pads. So there is recommended reading to explore in a similar area. So it basically covers 200 years and 25 classic new and overlooked nature writers.
0: Do you think the perspective, insight from these particular voices that you were surprised to discover upon researching some of their stories?
1: Just how multidimensional it is. It's not just white people going out into a pastoral landscape and being enraptured. You know, it's not just that. It's actually talking about problems in climate change. So I talk about Elizabeth Rush, who wrote the Pulitzer Prize nominated book, Rising dispatches from the New American Shore, and I have someone writing. Her name's Amy Liptrot. She wrote about recovering from alcoholism and going back to her family farm and rebuilding her inner landscape through contact with the nat- natural world, through building stone walls and swimming and wild swimming and watching birds and looking up at the constellations. To someone like Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's a part is Native American but also a botanist professor of botany in New York, and she brings old indigenous wisdom and combines it with botanical knowledge to create uh, an understanding of or an, an, an empathy with plants. And it exploded my world writing about these women and understanding where we are in time. And I would suggest, if you know, if your listeners are interested, I might suggest beginning with um, someone named Carolyn Merchant, who was a, a professor I studied with at Berkeley, one of the leading environmental historians of our time. And she wrote a book called The Death of Nature. And it is an incredibly impactful book about how scientific revolution with Descartes and Bacon and so forth, um, how a developing a mechanistic and engineering and controlling uh, view toward the natural world, which was you know, considered progress, how that shaped our relationship with the world. We used to perceive the world as kind of a mother and as feminine and since over the last 500 years or so our relationship has has fundamentally changed with it and i'm i'm really interested in how we interacted with the landscape before the scientific revolution and what we have to learn from it now um you know people are talking about this age of sustainability that we're trying to get to well you know i'm married to a scientist a professor and so for progress a lot of these conversations happen, happen academically and through collaborations and so forth but we need to get that writing out and those discoveries out of the academy and to people through storytelling and that's why Rachel Carson is so important because she brought complex scientific ideas and brought them into popular culture through really simple but engaging storytelling. So nature writers are really important. People who write about environmental issues, science, place, and it could be meditations as well. Storytelling is really important. So we need nature writers, male and female, now more than ever. Has
0: nature writing been as well appreciated across the globe? Are there other countries where different voices are more often heard?
1: Well, nature writing is definitely a British and American genre, but I would suggest people look up Willow Herb Review, and there are voices there from male and female writers of color. And the person who edits that journal, Jessica Lee, she lives in Germany and she's part Chinese, I believe, and Canadian. And she and I had a, a wonderful conversation uh, recently, and, and she talked about new writing coming out of Taiwan, for example. And nature writing, of course, is something that's been around a long time in China. And so we say nature writing, and my book is, admittedly, because I'm American, living in England, and nature writing is a genre I, I read in English. But I do mention, you know, there are Aboriginal nature writers who write about their natural world, too. So I do give a nod to all as many different voices as I can in, in writing wild, for sure.
0: Has nature writing evolved, changed? How do you think it's progressing going into the future?
1: There have been conversations here in England where I live about, well, it can't be nature writing if you do not acknowledge climate change. And so otherwise people say you kind of live in this bubble. So I am not someone who believes that I'm not going to referee nature writing. I feel like that gets into dangerous territory. That you don't want people to be silencing other people's voices. Or, you know, there's one writer I write about named Nan Shepard, who was scared about taking her particular book out uh, and having it published. And she was a well-known Scottish writer who wrote about the Cairngorms um, in South, it's a mountain range in Southeast Scotland in Aberdeen. So she put her book manuscript, the living mountain in a, in a dark drawer. And it sat there not for one week, not for a year, but almost 40 years. And she was scared of bringing it out into a male dominated scientific mountaineering community where the only way of experiencing writing about the mountains or mountains was by climbing up it. And she had this really um, metaphysical, Buddhist-inspired pilgrimage sort of way of... Uh, and it was quite sensual writing, actually. So nobody should be censored. No feelings are should be you know disallowed. And I just believe that sort of thing is, is a dangerous area to go in. So where do I think it's going? I think nature writing is responding to climate change. I think Elizabeth Rush, who I feature at the end of the book is doing something amazing. Her writing is lyrical. She's a single woman out walking the landscape. She's using the word I. She puts her name on the book. She's college, university educated. She's at Brown University, actually. And she it's like all these women are combined into her work, Rising. And it's scientifically informed, too. And it's about climate change. So again, it goes back to this need for good storytellers to convince people to put pressure on the government, for different policy changes, to understand where we are in the world, and to have also for well-being as well. That, you know, there can be poetry written without reference to climate change, but it can be about how, I mean, one of the questions that nature writers always ask seems to be to me, how best to live in this world. And also... Understanding that we're part of the web of life and that there's greater than human life and um, acknowledging that and gardening in a way and farming in a way that leads us into more sustainable practices and a more sustainable way of living.
0: From compiling all these stories, these works, looking at these different authors, there's any advice you could draw from it for aspiring young female writers in terms of how they should progress in terms of developing their writing?
1: It takes a while to develop your voice, but, you know, I am a great believer that there's freedom in discipline and freedom, believe it or not, in routine. So I I have some pretty strict writing habits myself. I have, I'm a lark, I'm not a night owl, so I get up quite early and I I write almost every day when I'm in a writing project. I write, uh, you know, from five to say 7.30 or eight, then I take a couple hour break, then I come back to my desk. And so understanding when you think best you know, going out with a notebook and making sure that your ideas are like butterflies. So you need to catch them, you know, either on your phone with a picture or use the recording device on your phone or an old fashioned notebook, but dedicating time to it. And sometimes you go forward and sometimes you go back, but every day just sitting down and writing and not being concerned about word counts, but am I writing something that resonates with me? Am I, is it personal journal writing or is it, do you want to write? I think we need more scientists writing actually. And so to do that It's creative nonfiction, and and I do mentor people, scientists and more artsy writers as well, Uh, to write uh, articles. And sometimes for me and many of my writing friends who are published and magazine articles can become books as well. So starting with something simple, writing in a journal, developing essays, getting those essays into magazines, and the response to those particular essays can be book publication. And that's not uncommon at all. So that's, that's what I would say.
0: We were just talking with Ms. Catherine Alto. The new book is Writing Wild, Women Poets, Ramblers, and Mavericks Who Shape How We See the Natural World. And Ms. Alto, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.